0: Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moeddin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway, and this is The Current Podcast. Sitting and watching on social media is simply not enough, and ask ourselves... There's been an incongruence between student consensus and administration actions. Um, Part of the reason
0: why Concordia students are hosting a sit-in today is to call...
1: Let's go! as over 8,000 rockets have been fired into Israel, into innocent We've had situations where students come into our building in tears. And so they're stressed out because they've either been called a name or because they're not feeling safe going to their classes and they need counseling. Those are scenes from university campuses across this country after the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel and during Israel's ensuing bombardment of Gaza. We have seen students and faculty expressing fiercely held positions on both sides of this conflict, and that has created tension, hostility, sometimes even led to physical altercations. But now at least one university is hoping to change the atmosphere on campus. The University of Toronto has appointed professor and novelist Randy Boyagoda as special advisor on civil discourse He is with me in studio now. Randy, good morning. Good morning, Matt. What is your mission in this role as the special advisor on civil discourse?
0: I think my mission in this role is to identify ways throughout the university to create a better culture, To support civil discourse, which is to say, to make people more willing and able to think out loud together, Mm. to recognize and reckon with difference and disagreement. And I think perhaps most importantly, Matt, to see that recognition and reckoning as in service of the greater good, in service of identifying shared understandings, and ultimately in the pursuit of truth. What is civil discourse? I mean, we should define what it is and what it isn't. Right. So I would say that civil discourse is understood, I think broadly, as the practice of people coming together in a shared conversation in which there is an implication already that there may be some form of disagreement, but that there is a willingness to identify points of agreement, points of disagreement, and then seek mutual understanding, and then a shared
1: understanding of the issue itself. You've talked about creating um, a disposition mm-hmm. for civil discourse, not using civil discourse as a tactic. What do you mean by that?
0: I think that we we sometimes mistake the way we speak for how and why we should be speaking about something. And it seems to me like it short circuits things. And I think, frankly, is doomed to failure if we rush to uh, to practice, to simply um, learning learning tactics for polite conversation. I mm-hmm. think that is a false or a scarecrow version of civil discourse. But it's not actually getting to the meat of the matter. No, at not. all. And people are very skeptical of civil discourse, understood that way, and I would fully agree with them. Um, I think two things. If you're someone looking for tactics for civil discourse, you're probably already there. In yeah. other words, you're just looking for a way to understand other people. But at the same time, if we mistake the means for the end, which is, again, disposition, a sensibility that you bring to conversation, what else is a university supposed to be but a place for that kind of thing? If you mistake the means for an end, then I think you're either going to be profoundly disappointed, or you're going to be kind of stuck in some version of banal techno
1: practice. The reason this is happening now is because of the war in Gaza. Absolutely. What have you seen on campus that concerns you when it comes to the conversations that are or aren't happening, the way that people are or aren't talking about this war?
0: I think I would point to a couple of things. Um, first, I think it's very important to note that uh, the events of October 7th and thereafter didn't create the need for civil discourse But the reason campus. this is happening now is because of this Well, order. no, it exposed it. But let's not pretend that on October 6th, civil discourse was robust on university campuses across Canada, yeah. right? So as to your question about what I have seen, I think I would point to a couple of things. Uh, I... Early January, back in term, I was walking past, uh, walking through Sydney Smith Hall, the, the main academic building of the Faculty of Arts and Science uh, on U of T's St. George campus. And I noticed a group of students who were organizing a Palestinian solidarity rally inside the building. And what I was struck by more than anything else was not the, you know, couple of dozen students who were organizing, but the... Dozens, if not hundreds of students who saw it, put their heads down and kept on walking. That was what, um, it didn't surprise me that there were students organizing a protest. What surprised and dismayed me to some degree was the indication of students who just didn't want to engage this, didn't like the idea of
1: it for whatever set of reasons and just moved through onto something else. I mean, there have been real issues on the campus, and it's not just at U of T, but mm-hmm. we, you're working for U of T. So, I mean, there have been real issues. There are 500 and some professors in the Faculty of Medicine signed an open letter saying that they felt uh, comments by students and some of their colleagues made them feel as Jews unsafe mm-hmm. on campus. You had students who were walking out of class demanding that the university cut ties with organizations that they said were complicit in the war uh, in Gaza What's at stake here for the University of Toronto? This is a reputational issue in addition to being a matter of of people feeling unsafe on campus. Mm -hmm. The two are tied together in some ways, right? Parents, for example, are watching saying, why would I send my child to the University of Toronto if people feel unsafe? What's at stake, do you think, for the university? I think what's at stake for the University of
0: Toronto is to create the space for people to explore ideas, to learn, to research, to create, and to do so in ways that... Uh, they feel, allow them to thrive, to flourish. I'm very intentionally not using the, um, the term safe mm-hmm. right now, which is, I think, a contested term. But that's a word that a people lot have used. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I acknowledge that. Um, but what I'm trying to get at, I think, is that because dynamics on campus have been so brittle about uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict, because of that, um, And because I think people don't necessarily know or want to have uh, a conversation with others who disagree with them, that anxiety, that frustration, that genuine concern about personal safety, about how they feel in moving around their university campus, it takes the form of protest of, as you say, open letters Walkouts. Now, I think it's really important to understand, Matt, that civil discourse doesn't solve that, mm-hmm. right? The university should be a place of protest. It should be a place of open letters, of dissent. There are great traditions of this. Civil discourse is not some panacea or some kind of comprehensive solution to these things. But my view is that if more people were drawn to and willing to to have a disposition toward civil discourse, some of these more brittle and I think reactive gestures
1: wouldn't have nearly the same significance or impact. You used the word culture earlier, trying to say that you were going to cultivate a culture so that mm. there would be the room for civil discourse. Yeah. What has happened? Because universities were always seen as this place where you could have heated discussion. Do you yes. think? When I went to school, you went to school, same sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? We talked about things, it got hot, but it didn't go beyond that in many circumstances. Right. And people thought that that was the place where you could... You could be pushed. You could test your ideas. What happened to the culture that that was threatened, do you think? Or was that ever the case? Well, I
0: I think you're right that we're probably both nostalgic for a time where we felt like you could have, as an undergraduate, a heated conversation with someone both inside and outside the classroom. That's also important about university Mm -hmm. life, right? It isn't simply, quote unquote, the corollary to at work you do one thing and at home you do another. The integrated nature of university culture means that these conversations extend beyond the classroom and they can be intense. As to why that doesn't feel nearly the same anymore, I think I would point to a couple of factors, I think it's fair to say that the ubiquity of technology in our lives today, specifically phones and platforms is an accelerant of uh, anxiety about not speaking not speaking openly.
1: So stop there and talk about social media in particular mm-hmm. and how you, you've talked about this, how you have experienced yeah. somebody with a phone perhaps about to post something to social yeah, that's media right. and how that's impacted you. So a few years ago
0: now, Uh, I was in a university dining hall at U of T having dinner with a group of undergraduates alongside a series of other faculty
1: and the topic of cultural appropriation came up. This is this idea of, of writing about something that is not in your own background, but people say that you're taking someone's voice and stealing somebody's voice. Yeah. yeah, For your own material benefit. Now, Matt,
0: as you know, I'm a novelist, um, if I believe, if I had a kind of rigid view of cultural appropriation, what would I really be writing about? You you know, it would be incredibly, incredibly limiting. So I would say I'm pretty moderate on the question of cultural appropriation. And I was having a debate, a spirited discussion with an undergraduate student who was, I would say, very much on one side of the position. She, She thought any and all forms of cultural appropriation were wrong. And we're having this really engaged discussion about it. And I was enjoying myself. And I had that moment where I thought, this is it this is what we want the university to be. Here we are in this beautiful neo-Gothic dining hall. We're having a, a meal together. We're talking about something. We're talking about it intensely back and forth, right? And then I noticed that the student beside her was filming us on his phone and I stopped. What were you worried about? Well, then I immediately thought, well, what is this? look like here we have a senior university administrator and tenured professor speaking with uh, a young female student of color about the topic of cultural appropriation she is very intent upon our view and i'm pretty temperate in my tone and i have no idea who this person is that's filming us what's going to happen to the material how it will be kind of framed and posted and where and then guess what happened I started talking about, uh, about the food. I switched the subject, right? Um, and that strikes me as one of, the, one of the small but endless ways that technology erodes our disposition for civil discourse. In my head, I thought, I don't know where this could go. It's not worth the conversation for me personally. And I stopped the conversation. Hello, I'm Jess Milton.
1: How do you go about, if you're trying to create the, the venue for civil discourse, and again, this idea that, that, that this is good for a broader conversation, how do you go about engaging with people, whether they're faculty or whether they're students, who, who, who might be really entrenched in their position? That they, they, they start out from a position yeah. of this is what I believe. Right. Uh,
0: so I would say two things. One, uh, my immediate response to someone in a university context saying this is what I believe would be to respond, okay, but what do you think? Belief is great. I fully acknowledge it, but it needs to be um, a position that we can understand beyond your position of belief. That's one thing. The second is, um, it seems to me like if we were to, if I were to walk into uh, a debate about Israel and Palestine with people sincerely and intensely entrenched on both sides and say, hey, folks... I'm here as your civil discourse guy. That's like walking into a forest fire and offering people a fire safety workshop. It makes no sense, Matt, right? And it seems to me it does a disservice to people with intensely held views on Israel and Palestine to say, let's, let's have a civil discourse approach. That's all practice. And that's neutralizing and almost trying to chill, I would say, the, the, the fires that are burning in people about this matter. Instead, what could we do? We could identify... Things that we have in common. You and I are both in the faculty of law. You and I are both in pharmacy. We're both studying history. Can we find a shared context for a conversation? And then within that context, identify an idea where, and this is really important, Mm -hmm. neither of us has the full story here. Neither of us has a perfect understanding. And I can't get any further unless I talk to you
1: about it. How do you go about doing that without... I mean, there are people who will say that you're flattening the conversation yeah. in some ways. You're both sides in it, mm-hmm. right? We might have heard that accusation here in journalism as well. Mm-hmm. That, if you're try- that, that, that if you're trying to expose a number of different perspectives on yes. an idea, not, not, not just what's happening in the Middle East, but more broadly, mm-hmm. that, that you are yeah, flattening that conversation, that you're talking out of both sides. Yes. How do you go about avoiding that? Well, I think it's or what do you say to people who think that this whole idea is about that?
0: Yeah. So I would say that those, those who would say that this whole idea is about that would also probably point to the power dynamics of a, a tenured professor with a university-wide appointment asking everyone to practice civil discourse, right? Only from a position of great security goes this argument can you practice civil discourse. And your answer is? That the university provides great security for disagreement. It, it should and ought to by its mission and work provide that. And what I would argue is that we need to move beyond and away from those things where we have intensely held views to a space and a place where you're not certain. Like, that's a tough place to be in. But What else should university be but a place where you go with one idea, that idea is challenged, you're invited to think against yourself, you move elsewhere. So it's something you would said earlier, it's moving away from geopolitics to something in a discipline or a subject or a research area. Start there where something is not fully decided and and a source of disagreement and build from there to other spots.
1: Do you think people want this? Do people want to have civil discourse? Are people interested in listening to each other right now?
0: Not just I, on this issue, but, right. but more broadly. More generally speaking. I think so. I think that there is a, a desire for... Uh, a desire. And let me put it in a different way, actually. I was gonna say, why
1: do you believe that? Yeah. What, what has shown you that that's, that that's the case?
0: I mean, I'll give, you, I'll give you one example. I'm teaching a course right now on contemporary American fiction. And for that course, uh, one of the texts that I assigned was Greta Gerwig's Barbie. When I did so, I assigned with it Pamela Paul, New York Times column, Pamela Paul's recent column, "I hated Barbie. There I said it." And it was after Girl Week was denied an Oscar nomination for Best Director. Uh, excellent students, very thoughtful, very insightful. And in the conversation, the students were themselves really drawn to what Pamela Paul had to say about Barbie. And what many of them said was that they were grateful for her position. Because they themselves didn't feel like they could say it out loud. That, they, that there were students, specifically male students, who expressed a concern about uh, saying they didn't entirely like Barbie for fear they would be perceived as uh, not being allies to women because of the empowerment uh, themes, let's say, of Barbie and of the associated culture of this movie. So, that told me, Matt... Uh, their response, the, the the kind of almost sense of relief that someone was saying this, that tells me that people are looking for ways to hear from others, to find uh, the conditions, the space for thinking out loud and finding disagreement and getting
1: through and beyond that disagreement to a better place. Mm-hmm. Do you worry – we just have a few minutes left. Yeah. Do you worry that what we see in the United States and that people frame it as a culture war mm-hmm. around what's happening on campuses? Is that – Is that here? Is that coming here? In terms of what people, not can and can't say, but the amount of attention that these sorts of discussions get. It becomes truly politicized, capital P politicized. Well, well, very much
0: so in the US, especially in the fall with with congressional hearings on these matters. You know, I think the problem we sometimes have in Canada, and you and I have talked about this in other ways over the years, is the degree to which we look to the United States and we think, well, thank God we're not like them. Or we look to the United States and think, well, we're kind of like them, aren't we? In a kind of poor facsimile version. Neither of those things should be the case. For a school like the University of Toronto with a national reputation and a global reputation and reach, it seems to me that we need to look beyond the civil discourse and campus conflict situation in the United States to resituate it in two ways. What does civil discourse mean and look like in a Canadian context? And then what does it mean and look like in a global context? Right. I'll be doing actually a research project with some undergraduates about this in the spring. But what does civil discourse mean in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, Mm. in Hungary? They probably don't name it the same way. I was just in Sri Lanka. I was at a couple of universities there. Right. In a post-Civil War context with an economically fraught country. What does it mean to, to, to think about civil discourse in places where, frankly, the stakes are different than they are
1: in most North American universities? So what about here, just in the last minute that we have, what, what will success mean? How will you know at mm. the end of your 18-month term right. that you have created the conditions for civil discourse? Well, first, by acknowledging that I am not creating
0: the conditions for civil discourse. I am working with faculty, students, and staff and university leadership across our three campuses to identify local places for this kind of living out of, of, uh, of civil discourse and then helping where I can, learning what I can, and then sharing it across the way. So that if more and more people show up at U of T, faculty and students alike in September, ready to engage with others, knowing that they won't agree and finding that a source of excitement, curiosity, then that's a good thing. Then that tells me that we're doing what we should be doing at the university.
1: You think it's possible? I do. It's a hornet's nest. You might get stung. Yeah, that's okay. I've got lots of those, um, you know. EpiPens. (laughs) EpiPens. Yeah, (laughs) all over
0: the place. That's right.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll talk again as this unfolds. It is really important and it's fascinating. Randy, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Randy Boygota is an author, English professor, and University of Toronto's newly appointed advisor on civil discourse. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.